I think you can be a successful entrepreneur either way. I think for some of us, it's it's in us, like born with it, and we're just like hustlers, and we just get after it and learn. I think there's a big segment of people where they're just born with it. But I'd also say there's a lot of other people that have a passion for it and and learn it, and they don't have to go to school for it necessarily. In in fact, it's probably better not to. But they just they want to run their own business. They don't really know how, and it's not really natural to them. But they don't worry. They're not. They don't worry about learning about it. They'll they will. They'll get after it and learn about it. And and the passion can drive them through what they need to get through. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host Tabor Lote, and today our guest is Chad. Zdenek. And today we're going and learning about his entrepreneurial journey from being a busy professional and engineer in Los Angeles, California, to scaling to financial independence and full-time real estate investing. We dig into his journey, his process to getting to where he is, and also key lessons that he learned along the way. We talk about the two types of busy professional real estate investors and how they go down the path that they choose to go down and why he chose the path that he went down. We also dig into his experience. He got an MBA with a focus on entrepreneurial studies from UCLA. We dig into whether he got valuable lessons about entrepreneurship from that MBA and whether he would necessarily recommend that type of education for aspiring real estate entrepreneurs. Great conversation. Chad has been highly successful as a real estate investor. And I think a lot of folks out there are looking at real estate entrepreneurship and thinking, is that right for me? Well, there is no right answer one way or the other. There's just a right answer for us as individuals. Today, we're digging into Chad's specific experience, why he decided to go the direction that he decided to go, and also key lessons that he's learned along the way about owning businesses and scaling as a real estate investor. Once again, I'm your host, Tabor Lode. I'm a real estate investor, and to date, I've invested in, partnered on, acquired, or otherwise had a hand in over $150 million of multifamily real estate investments. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, and schedule a call, and we will look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. If you're hearing my voice right now, that means you are not watching us on YouTube. If you'd like to join the conversation on YouTube, if you'd like to see the videos and get the extra oomph of seeing this recorded interview in person, check out our YouTube channel. We put all of the videos of our recorded interviews on the YouTube channel. Check that out. Once again, our guest today is Chad Zdenek, and we're digging into becoming a full-time real estate investor, entrepreneurship, being a former engineer of 25 years, and so much more. His thoughts about education and whether it's important to learn about entrepreneurship. A lot of great lessons in this one. Without any further ado, here we go. Chad, thank you so much for joining us today. For our listeners out there who don't know about you and your background, can you tell us about your exciting journey into the world of real estate investing? 
Sure. Thanks for having me on the show, Taylor. I appreciate it. Uh, I've kind of had like a meandering path. So I'm actually a, a civil engineer and licensed general contractor, professional engineer by trade. I was started out my career early on uh, working for Boeing on the space shuttle main engines. So technically a rocket scientist for about seven years. And then my brother recruited me over to work with him on a lighting business which he started and and coincidentally was like my pet project when I was getting my uh, MBA at UCLA, focusing on entrepreneurial studies. His business was like my my case study and then the business kept growing and growing. And so I I moved over to work with him on the business. Early on, there's only a handful of us working at the company at the time. I was there for like 17 years, built it up to be about 75 employees, three different warehouse locations uh, here in Southern California. And then I exited, now it's been about four years ago. So he bought me out and I had been getting into real estate more as, as an investor just prior to that. And then had some money, started doing some investing. And shortly thereafter, started uh, syndicating because of course I ran out of my own money and started trying to, <laughs> as we do, uh-huh. started working with other investors to take down properties here in, uh, in Long Beach. And then was doing that for a while, and then more recently been partnering with other people on out-of-state investments, primarily in Florida. So full-time real estate guy, syndicator, mostly multifamily, although I do some stuff in, in other assets as well, and love what I do. Awesome. I love that. And, and you're based in LA, investing across the country, but I'd like to dig into that part of your your journey because we have a lot of listeners out there who live in maybe not necessarily LA, but more expensive markets where it's harder to find like cash flowing deals and investment opportunities. And I'd like to dig into the part of your journey because I believe you've invested in California as well. So let's talk about how you kind of got into that real estate game and started investing in that area and also outside of California. Sure. Yeah. So I've actually even syndicated deals in California. Yeah, so it's it's a little bit more rare, but I mean, you know, I still have those properties and we've been doing well and cash flowing and all that sort of stuff. But I think for investors that are looking outside of their backyard, you definitely like you lose that comfort level, right? Where you like, you know, the neighborhood, you might have grown up there, but certainly, you know, it. you drive it, you see the properties and it kind of gives you a, a sense of comfort for knowing that. Now, when you're investing out of state or far away, like you lose that. So what do you have to, what do you do to replace that is, is typically, in my opinion, is you replace that with somebody you really trust and partnership or operating team that you really trust because they're, they're the ones running the show and you're not going to be able to drive by the property and see it, even though, I mean, it doesn't really do a whole lot to see the property anyway, but I think just subconsciously, like people feel good about being able to do that. So if you lose that feel good feeling of being able to do that, you want to be able to get that feel good feeling from the trust that you have in the operator, because it's, it's a lot of work to run these deals. And there's always something that, that does go wrong. It's, it happens on every deal and you just got to deal with it the best you can and, and have good communication about it. But trust in that partnership, I think is, is really, really critical. So trust is an interesting concept that is very important in, in real estate investing and, and all other businesses, but we want to be sure that our trust isn't misplaced, right? Because a lot of people, unfortunately, trusted, for example, Sam Bankman-Fried <laughs> of FTX, and that didn't work out. So how do you build 
that trust that you feel like you can you can rely on these folks that are on the ground? Yeah, so so that's a very good point. And I think that's, you know, when you talk about what trust is, you can really expand on that a little bit more in like, okay, do you know the partnership team? Uh, what is their experience level in that? You know, what kind of experience level does that partnership have, team have that can help build a little bit more trust? What's the asset class that they're investing in? whether it's, you know, stocks or real estate or crypto, whatever it might be, like what's the asset class? Cause that can help give you a little bit more trust. And then, and then also like, if you want to really get into a little bit more, what, what does the debt structure look like and financing of that? Like you want to be able to trust your, your financing that you're not going to get a capital call or not have the bank with some of their covenants get you into some hot water so trusting the financing that you have set up. So like all those different things, I think when you look at really help develop what the trust is and, and, and you're right, it goes a lot deeper than, than just the person, you know, you and I, we're real estate guys. We understand the power of real estate, the idea that something is there, it's physical. If you wanted to, you could touch it and it's typically not going anywhere. Right. So, so that, that does bring its own level of trust. And then you add to it long-term historical look at things like which crypto does not have, but something like, like real estate that's been around forever and you can see what it's done over long periods of time. And then that, that does help create trust for a lot of people, trust in the asset. Nice. So a lot of people out there, a lot of our listeners have a dream and I hate to call it a dream because that kind of sounds demeaning. I don't mean it that way, but a dream of being a full-time real estate investor. It's a it's a good dream, right? And it's one that you've achieved, but it's also one that a lot of people don't achieve. What do you think set you or your experience or your path apart from those who do not achieve financial independence through real estate investing? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot kind of unpacked there, a lot of different paths that people could go. And I know, I know you work with a lot of busy professionals and, and I think in that regard, um, like a passive income stream for them could be great. You know, a lot of these busy professionals, they actually, they like what they do, right? I mean, they, they, uh, hopefully they really enjoy what they do. They're good at it. They, they certainly get paid really well for it. And the idea of passive income from real estate really is just like a supplemental idea. It's not, not necessarily that they need to leave their W-2 job to go get into real estate full-time, a lot of them can just create this passive income stream and and maybe not have to rely on on that W-2 100%. That can give them a lot of comfort and also provide a little bit of flexibility and something that they can hand down to their kids. Like when they're not, once they you know stop their W-2 job, unless they've got some pensions, which are getting more and more rare, they're not gonna have anything else to give to their kids. Whereas real estate and the passive income stream that we create for our investors, they can always always hand that hand hand that down to to their to their kids. So so that's like one segment of the people. Now the other segment of the people, when you talk about the idea of the the dream and people wanting to get into real estate full time, um, and that's very real for a lot of people, like a real passion or pursuit for a lot of people, and for those people. I think it it comes like you just have to start start slowly and uh, and just slowly build up. You know, one of my favorite quotes is that real estate is the best get rich slow scheme out there, right? It's like <laughs> it's just you get rich slowly, right? And, and for a long time, you're you're asset rich and cash poor, 
And, and it, it does take time to do that. So if you had a W-2 income that could supplement and kind of hold, you know, you, uh, carry your life, I'm sorry, support your lifestyle and then start building up this passive income or it could even be active income within real estate. Like that's a good way to do it. And then you just slowly, slowly, slowly build that up over time, I think is great for those type of people that really want to get into it. And eventually if they stay, stay with it long enough and, and it really is a passion of theirs, they will get to a point where they can leave their W-2 job and be into real estate full time if that's if that's really what they want to do. And if it isn't, like at least they're creating passive income anyways, or it could even be active income. Call it an, another active income stream that they're having on top of their W-2, which is still a great place to end up. So a lot of folks that I speak with who have gone full time, the, the, the latter category, which you know you would fall into hustling and going full time and building it up and eventually getting there, a lot of them have one or maybe two catalyzing events or relationships that were really, uh, to use an engineering term, an inflection point, or maybe it's more of a math and calculus term, but an inflection point in their growth as a real estate investor, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, something along those lines that helped uh, set them free, if you will. Does that idea resonate with you? And if so, what were your inflection points or what was your inflection point to narrow it down to one? Yeah, I, I think those definitely do exist. Me personally, I don't I don't bank on those things because it could be a long time before something like that hits. <laughs> and and it's 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 one of those things that, you know, Russ Gray, I know he's been on your show before from the real estate guys, he says you're only one relationship away from a life-changing point or life-changing relationship, one meeting away from a life-changing relationship. So I think for me, I always continue to try to try to put myself out there for those type of uh, inflection points, if you will. I'm not sure, like me personally, that I mean, I, I can point to a few things that, that have happened that have really like a, a puzzle piece that falls into place. That's like, wow, it can kind of change your trajectory or really increase the, the velocity at which you're growing and scaling. I haven't had any huge one of those things, I, although I know people that have. Um, for me, it's been more of a slow and steady pace, just a lot of hard work. One of my company values is grit. You know, that's something that really resonates with me. And, and uh, you know, I just I just get after it every day and, and do the best I can and just do incremental improvements. And and over time, you know, doing pretty good things. Uh, but I wouldn't I wouldn't put my money on on the inflection point. You know, if it happens, great. And this is like advice to people like like it's kind of like you know, betting on the, the the green, the double green or the single green on roulette, right? Like when it hits, it's great, but you don't want to really bet the bank on that. And it's better, in my opinion, to bet on yourself and just keep doing what you do. Try to be a good person, help out as many people as you can. And eventually something may or may not come around. But if it doesn't, this whole time you've been working on yourself and working on your business. So I love that idea of, of betting on yourself. And before we started recording, we chatted a while. I love chatting with all of my guess. And, and you were telling me about investing in your your real estate education and several programs that you're involved with. I'm not going to name them, but you're certainly welcome to if you like. But you you chose to make that choice in that investment. Why? Why did you make those investments in those programs? So I think this is something that I would I would recommend for for listeners starting out or even like like seasoned professionals. Like if you want to compress your time frame to get from point A to point B, what I've seen is networking and and like mastermind type groups or mentors like those those 
two or three things I think are really critical to accelerating your growth and and being so for me being a part of mastermind groups I'm part of the, the real estate guys inner circle group I'm, I'm part of Hunter Thompson's raise masters group uh, and I'm also part of the entrepreneurs organization like those three groups are like really good good areas that you can meet other people develop relationships and and learn a lot of key things and coincidentally those groups don't really overlap much at all I'm, I'm in each of those groups for for diff, very different reasons um, but that's a great way to kind of kind of fast track building up these relationships. And earlier we were, we were talking about trust and, and the importance of trust. And like you, you automatically have a, a certain bare minimum level of trust with anyone in that group. Like they're part of your group. Like they can't, if they really did something bad, like, like they're going to have to show up to the group and, you know, either leave the group or like, or own up to it. Right. So you have that kind of like minimum level of trust that's established right away which which really helps. And the the second or third part of of that that aspect is is mentors. And I haven't really had a lot of mentors, but I I see a lot of people that have done really well by by working with mentors and that's another way that they can kind of compress time frames and and uh just really really try to increase their growth or, or velocity of their growth as a business or individual. Okay. So the entrepreneurs organization. Now you also have an MBA with a, a focus on entrepreneurship. I think is what you said it was, or I think it was phrased differently. But you discussed entrepreneurship during your MBA, and at one point there was a fork in my road uh, many years ago now. But I considered getting an MBA before I became a real estate investor. I thought, hey, maybe I'll go that track. But I saw all these MBA programs have entrepreneurship courses, and I thought. Does that is that really a true take on entrepreneurship or not? So you have this MBA with a focus on entrepreneurship or exposure to the entrepreneurship track there, and then you also know a lot of entrepreneurs and have become an entrepreneur yourself. Did the MBA program get it right? And if so, what did they get right? And if not, what did they miss about true entrepreneurship and successful entrepreneurs? That's a really good question. And I don't think I've ever been asked that question. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I went to UCLA for my MBA, focused on entrepreneurial studies, and and it was a fully employed program. So I was working full time at Boeing at the time. It was a three year program, and I think one of the things that really helped me was having my my brother's business that I could kind of use as my pet project to to try to test the theory out on things. Right, like that was that was really important. So. So, but without that, like, okay, is an MBA really worth it or not? I think one of the things that you do get out of it is a lot of the the nuts and bolts of a business, you know, going over the accounting, going over financing, going over HR and legal and all those sort of things, even scaling businesses. Like you can, you learn that stuff in the MBA program through different courses. Uh, Now, that being said, I'm actually not a very big proponent of formal education. I think when I was younger, I was, and I actually have three master's degrees, if you can believe it. (laughs) Um, So I I certainly have had my share of of formal education, but especially even today, I mean, it, 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 I don't know, (laughs) I don't want to get political, but, but education is different than it was back in the day. And, and I've seen so many successful people without a higher education degrees that you don't need it. And, and like what I tell, I got five kids and uh, my oldest is a junior in high school. And what I tell her is, is at college or even graduate level work, it guarantees you a minimum pay for the most part. It'll guarantee you a minimum pay. It doesn't by any means tell you where you're going to get to, where you're going to get to is really depends on you 
and and how hard you want to work. I mean, we live in America, the land of opportunity, and I still believe that. You can see, you know, the American flag over my shoulder here. I'm a big proponent of, of America. And and yeah, I don't think you have to have formal education to get to where you want to. You got to have hustle. You got to have grit. You got to go, go, go. You got to get after it. And it's going to take a lot of work, but you don't have to have the education. Uh, for me, the NBA really helped kind of uh, give me like a background of all the different parts of a business. And I'd run businesses before my MBA. So I ran businesses before my MBA. I ran businesses after my MBA. I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. And that's probably the best thing that I got out of the MBA was the nuts and bolts of business stuff. But you can you can learn that without getting an MBA. I mean, this MBA was like like a hundred and something thousand dollars. And like, would I spend a hundred grand? I don't even know how much it is today. But would I spend a hundred grand for for an MBA right now? Like, that's so sure. You know, I I, I could I could do some good investing with that hundred grand and learn on the fly and network with people that that actually want to help and teach. You know, I could probably do pretty well there, and not have to spend three years going to school. So it's it's a it's a much tougher decision now, in my opinion, than it was in the past. And I think there's a lot more advantages, or I guess to not going to school, and there's less advantages to having these these master's degrees today than it was back in the day. So do you think successful entrepreneurship is something that can be taught, or is it innate? And if you, you know, maybe look back and think back about the folks that you were in that MBA program with, maybe for a, as a you know data set, how many of them have become successful entrepreneurs and how many are not. And it's not to say that one's necessarily better than the other. The question is really, can that be taught or is it just kind of inside you? Yeah, I mean, that that's kind of like the age-old question. I think you can be a successful entrepreneur either way. I think for some of us, it's, it's in us, like born with it and we're just like hustlers and we just get after it and learn. I think there's a big segment of people where they're just born with it. But I'd also say there's a lot of other people that have a passion for it and, and learn it. And they don't have to go to school for it necessarily. And in, in fact, it's probably better not to, but they just, they want to run their own business. They don't really know how, and it's not really natural to them, but they don't worry. They're not, they don't worry about learning about it. They'll, they will, they'll get after it and learn about it. And, and the passion can drive them through what they need to get through. So, and I think they can learn it. I think it's probably better if you're kind of born with it. And I think some people are. Some people develop it at like a very young age. I'll tell you, when <laughs> when I was growing up and I was probably, I don't know, maybe nine or 10 years old at the time and I wanted to make some money and my dad said, all right, well, look, he's like, here's a bucket, fill the bucket up with weeds and every bucket you get, I'm going to give you $2. And he went off to work and I'm the oldest of five kids. So what did I do? I hired out my siblings. I said, Hey, you guys, I'll give you a dollar for every bucket you fill up of weeds in the backyard. And, uh, and sure enough, they went, and they picked weeds. And at the end of the day, I gave my dad all the buckets and he gave me the money and I paid my siblings. So that was probably like nine years old at the time. So am I naturally an entrepreneur? Like, like maybe I'm maybe more entre- you know, naturally entrepreneurial than most, but I've seen a lot of people that learn along the way. And if it's what they really want to do, then they get it. You know what I mean? You just have to, you, you get it. You, you know, you get it. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So do you think it's a question of risk tolerance more? Because you're, you're kind of saying that if I'm getting it right, some of these folks are more willing to, it's not so much innate, but it's more you're willing to take the risk, make the investment of either time or money or what have you, but to, to just push forward 
and figure it out along the way or, or make it happen versus other folks don't have that degree of risk tolerance, aren't willing to put it out there, whether it's time, money, put themselves out there, whatever it is, they just would rather not take the risk. Would I, you I agree, think, disagree? Yeah, I hear you. It's a good question. I think for some people, like they're so risk averse that they just, they don't want to touch it. You know, I get my paycheck every two weeks. I, you know, work my eight to six, eight to five, whatever it is. And they're comfortable with that. I think it's almost a misnomer about entrepreneurship being risky. And what I mean by that is entrepreneurs, it's not so much that they like risk or that they're risk, they're highly risk tolerant, but they mitigate the risk and they have confidence in their cell in themselves to mitigate the risk. So I'm an engineer, I'm very analytical and, and I evaluate all sorts of different risks, right? And, and you could actually almost make the argument that these types of people are, are less risk tolerant because they, they associate outcomes with the risk, right? Or probabilities with the risk. And they're really good at saying, well, if I do this, what's the upside? What's the downside? And is it worth it or not? Just by going through that thought process and decision process on kind of associating or attaching a probability to the risk and then looking at the upside and the downside, like that's a very intentional process that can help somebody to make a really good educated decision on, on what level of risk to accept. And, and a lot of entrepreneurs, especially as they get more successful and running larger businesses, like their, their risk tolerance might go down, if you will. But I think what they're doing is they're just evaluating, is the downside worth the upside? Like they've already got a lot of upside. So they might say, you know what? I just don't want any more downside um, or they might want to limit the downside. And and we do that all the time in our apartment, our apartment deals, right? Like we're doing it right now. Like when you talk about purchasing rate caps, right? Like we weren't, we weren't doing this a year ago, but now like we're spending, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, sometimes seven figures to purchase a rate cap. Why is that? It's because we're trying to limit the downside, right? So we're willing to spend some money to buy an interest rate cap so that we know that the interest rate on our loan won't go above a certain point, right? We're buying a ceiling on that rate cap and we're, we're spending a lot of money on that. But why are we doing that, right? We're spending money to limit the risk because we're not we don't want to take that risk. So uh, so I, I think entrepreneurship is less risky than people give it credit for, especially like outsiders give it credit for. And, and you could even take it a step farther and say like, like in terms of like making your own money, like me as an entrepreneur, like I dictate how much I get paid, right? I'm not relying on someone else to pay me. If someone else is paying me, they can decide I don't want to pay you next week, right? To me, that's risky, right? Cause you're putting, you're putting all of your, all of your thought or, or your faith into someone paying you every two weeks when they could decide they don't want to pay you anymore. Me as an entrepreneur, like I'm making that decision for myself and I'm deciding to pay myself and, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing it. So I, I'm in a lot more control in that regard. And I know it's a little counterintuitive for a lot of people to see it that way. Maybe that's why I'm a born and bred entrepreneur, but like, that's how I look at it. You know, like, and it's funny, my, I think my, my dad probably taught me that kind of early on. He's, he's, he's an eye doctor, has his own eye practice, eye surgery practice. And, um, uh, so he needs an entrepreneur running his own, his own practice. And he would say, Hey Chad, he's like, you're working for someone else. They can decide when they don't want to pay you anymore. Then what are you going to do? It's a good point. It's a good question. Okay. I love it. Glad we, uh, dug into that right now. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. 
The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. Hi, right, Chad. I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Absolutely. What do we got? Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Uh you took the good one away. <laughs> I know. I can tell you've gotten this answer before. Um, yes. You know, I think I think my first my first syndication is actually done really well. I was able to get an earnout part of the loan from the bank early on. I was able to refinance it and got really good debt terms to it, and it it's been a solid investment. I feel like it was almost a, a little bit lucky because it was my first deal and it's done really really well. But it's it's great. I, I've got cheap debt. It cash flows really well. Um, we made it through COVID fairly unscathed, uh, and uh, and it's here here in LA. So I think that's probably one of the top ones. Now I've had other ones that like batted out of the park in terms of return, but I, I don't really talk about those because that was a lot more risk. I guess going back to what we were talking about before, <laughs> there's a lot more risk with with those. Even though I made a lot of money, the ROI is really high. I took a lot of a lot of risk um, in that investment. So like, to me, that's not necessarily, that was definitely more luck. And and I don't know if you're asking about bad investments, but we can talk about that later on what my reference point is for that. <laughs> well, you primed me for the next question. We had your best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, your worst investment. Uh, what is the worst investment you ever made? Yeah, so... So I have I have two, but I'll tell you about the worst. They're both pretty bad. <laughs> You're like battle wound scars, right? You kind of learn. <laughs> so so I in, I invested in in a startup, and and it was uh, me and my brother, and we wound up being the sole investors in a startup. It was a overseas security company, and we invested a big chunk of change, and. It looked amazing. The pitch deck was great. The management team was good. The idea was good. Like everything was there and and it fell flat on its face. And it was it was 100% lost like within like probably two and a half, three years. We even put in a little bit extra towards the end. Not a lot, but just a little bit to try to save it. And, and it wound up being 100% loss and uh, it was brutal. So, you know, you, you don't have to... And, and the other one was a ETF stock market loss, which lost everything also. So like you get a few of these losses under your belt and, and it gives you a lot more appreciation for something like real estate that you can always touch and like it doesn't go away generally. So I think that like those two, those two losses were like really pretty impactful for me, obviously the financial part, but just kind of learning like, wow, you know, you can lose money in investing and you can lose a lot of money and uh, and for me, that just made me so much more of a proponent of of real estate. Awesome, great. Well, not great, but thanks for the answer. And <laughs> I'm glad experience. you turned it into something good. That's right. My favorite question here at the end of the show is: What is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Uh, you know, I I think I think it's in part. I would say partnerships and teams. So 
when you're when you're growing a business or syndication, whatever it might be, it's you can only do so much yourself. We only, all of us, we only have 24 hours in the day. Uh, and if you really want to grow and scale, partnering is the way to go, or or working with your own team is is the way to go. And and you can really achieve like really great things. Uh, and I think it took me a little while to to learn that, even though I've been a excuse me, I've been a lifelong entrepreneur. I'm an engineer. I like to know everything. I like to do everything myself. You know, if if you want to get it done right, do it yourself. Like I kind of grew up that way, and it's 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 really self limiting. Um, and it, it's taken me a long time to get out of that. And my last business really helped because that one we grew pretty big, and I had to have a you know a lot of team members doing things. And then in real estate, I started off doing everything on my own. Like all my first deals, I was like solo GP from A to Z. I did everything. And, but it is limiting because I only have 24 hours and I'm just one guy. So with partnerships, I'm able to scale and, and do a lot more. And, and that's taken me a while to learn that though, but it's, it's a good place to be. I love and, it. And Chad, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all of these lessons with our audience. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, they want to hunt you down, learn more, get in touch, you know, have a conversation, where can they track you down? Yeah, I think the best way is just through CSQ Properties, either Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, CSQ Properties, or uh, website csqproperties.com is the best way. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one.